Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdina Osband. Our daf of the day, Masechet Yoma, daf Zion, page 7. Um, our discussion here begins at the top of the daf, really in a, it's really one opinion in an ongoing conversation that began on the previous daf, but I really want to talk about this concept that becomes fundamental in many, many ways, and we've mentioned it before, namely what we call Tuma Hutra Betzibor. I'm sure we could say that a little bit more, you know, I don't know what, with a Hebrew accent, Tuma Hutra, I don't know. It, to me, it sounds like Tuma Hutra Betzibor, meaning Tuma, impurity, Hutra is permitted Betzibor in the context of the Tzibor, now of the community, of the public. Um, this is, of course, your Dana, what you were talking about yesterday in terms of the what we called radical, right? This idea that there's a certain amount of leeway that's introduced and it seems that it's really an innovation on the part of Chazal to be able to say, you know what? Okay, so everybody is Tameh and we're going to not worry about that as we continue in our religious practice. So in this case, so here we have Amar of Sheshet, Haya Omeid Umakriv Minchat Omer Biado. So we're talking about, it's, it's talking about uh, Inyana Dioma, your Dana, with your Nase Nister. Here we've got the Kohen who is offering the Omer meal offering, right? The reason I say it's uh, Inyana Dioma, the topic of the day, is because here we are all counting Omer, if you're counting Omer. Um, and at that time, as he's offering it, it somehow becomes Tameh in his hands. And he says, Omer, Omivin Acher So he says, he notifies the people around him, right, that it's become Tameh. And they come and they bring something else in its place, another Korban of that will be the the comparable meal offering in its place. But if there's nothing else, if there's no other, I don't really understand how there could be no other meal offering, but I guess supplies were running low, let's say. And then they say, you know, we don't have another one here. Um, so just, you know, be smart about yourself. Be pikeach means to be sharp, right? To be sharp, and keep silent, meaning don't tell anybody that it became impure. Now, you know, if you woke me up in the middle of the night and asked me, you know, what do I think about this? I'd say, like, don't be ridiculous. They're not going to lie. Now, it's not saying that they're lying, right? They're saying, you don't. there's no need to notify the public because, and I assume the rationale here is because it is actually permissible. But I also would imagine that the public won't like it too, too fine because because it feels like, what are you talking about? How can you possibly offer the Omer if it's an impure offering? What, just because you don't have some, you know, like, so go find something else. So the Gemara continues, Katani Mihat. It says, however, as follows, Omer, So if we're talking about bringing another one in its place, then that's not the same thing as saying, that it's fine to bring an impure offering. Rather, right, meaning the case is, if you have another one, you should offer that. It's not okay to offer the impure one if you have the option of a pure one. Amrav Nachman, Modina Lachila. So then Rav Nachman says, no, he does not like this idea that it's just a matter of, um, you know, in the case of you ha- when you have nothing else, then you could use the impure one. Um, he says, you know, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to go that far. He says, it's one thing if you're talking about where there's Shirayim, if there's remnants, leftovers, where the carbon itself was designated for eating, right? Then that really has to be uh, offered in purity to the extent possible. 
right? Um, and then, now, the fact is, when we've talked about this in the case of the Karban Pesach also, right, you could offer uh, an offering that is impure as long as the eating part of it, the parts that you eat, are eaten in a state of purity, right? So, like, you could come up with very complicated, um, you know, this can be done by the Kohen, this can be offered on the Mizbeach, you, to eat your part, have to be tahor, meaning we could really jump through some hoops here to come up with some complicated cases that theoretically, anyway, should be permissible. But the part that I find most interesting and, and most um, far-reaching is this concept, again, of Tumahutra Batsibor, that we're going to say that impurity does not disqualify the offering on behalf of the public. Um, and I feel like, you know, even though we spend a lot of time saying Tuma doesn't Tuma and Tara don't mean clean and unclean, they mean pure and impure, and we're talking about a ritual state and we're talking about a spiritual state. Still, there seems to be this idea, I meaning I'm finding it hard to get away from the idea that somehow Tuma is bad. And I think that maybe this is one of the indications that we can, you know, work to avoid that thinking even more. It's not that Tuma is bad, it's that Tuma is a particular status that allows or doesn't allow you to do whatever it is. And so, you know, to the extent that you would not be allowed to offer things that are tame, you know, that is true under certain conditions. But then under other conditions, you still would be allowed to offer them because at some point the priority, you know, falls on making sure that those carbonate are offered. So to me, there's something like, I think, well, I, I feel like I'll learn more as we go but I feel like there's something eye-opening about the relationship between the karbanot and the requirement for ta- for tahara, you know, which is hovering right now. It's not as as hard and fast a mandate as I might have thought. Well, I again, I think one thing we've seen about Tuman Tara is we always view it as like sort of a judgment, like it's bad to be tame. I don't think that's actually the case. I think it's just factual, like your tummy or your tahor. And depending on what state you're in, it may impact what actions or communal activities or even individual activities you're allowed to participate in. But there's really no judgment over it. And I think that's why there's even, even some sort of dispensation that under certain circumstances, the status of being tummy for a Kohen Gadol or for a whole nation on, you know, Erev Pesach, doesn't actually hold you back from doing things that normally you would be held back from. Right. I think, I think, and, and I think you're completely right. And I just, you know, it's, it's a new point or it's, I don't even know if it's quite new, but, but when it becomes practical like this, you know, they're talking about a specific korban being offered at a specific time and being told like, you know, stoke, keep it quiet. It's okay. You know, it's a, it's an interesting um, practical implication of things that we theoretically might accept, but it doesn't really feel that way. And now I think we're going to, I'm going to be, you know, begin to feel the, oh, right, it's a status and that's that. And and we move on. Right. Um, so I'm going to move on to something that's at the end of the DAF, which again, as I mentioned yesterday, uh, is something that we saw in Pesachim. Um, It doesn't really quote exactly what we saw in Pesachim, but it's, a, you know, the same sort of idea, which is once they're talking about, you know, Hutra, Duchya, Tuma, now it gets onto the question is where does it seats, right? That that headpiece that the coin gadol wore, where does it fit in onto all of this? And it basically quotes for us, you know, this Tanaitic dispute between uh Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yehuda, right? Titania 
Whether it's actually on the coin Gadol's forehead or it's not on his forehead, it, you know, it's Maratza. It, uh, uh, one English translation here is sort of, it, it affects um, acceptance. Divrei Rabbi Shimon, this is what Rabbi Shimon says. Rabbi Huda comes and has the following opinion. Rabbi Huda Omer, Odeno al-Mitzicho Maratza, ain't Odeno al-Mitzicho, ain't Maratza. So Rabbi Yehuda holds, different than Rabbi Shimon, that it only is maratza as long as it's on the head. And if it's not on the forehead, then the tzitz doesn't have any power. It's not maratza. So now Rabbi Shimon's going to, in this price at least, disagree a little bit with Rabbi Yehuda. And he says the following, Amar lo Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says to Rabbi Yehuda, Koin gadol biyom kiburim yochiach. When we're talking about the Koin gadol on Yom Kippur, that's going to demonstrate, right, that the tzitz is an acceptance even when it's not worn. Because if it is not on the Kohen Gadol's forehead, right, it still is maratza. Now, what do we mean by this? One of the things that we know that the Kohen Gadol does is that the Kohen Gadol goes into the Kaddish Kedoshim and does what I guess we're going to call sort of this like inner avoda, right? The Kohen Gadol burns the Ketores and sprinkles blood of the Chatas of a bull and a goat. Um, and this entire time, while the coin guzzle is doing this, um, the coin guzzle do- doesn't wear the gold clothing, right? It's not going to wear that, which includes its seats, but wears special white clothing. And so what's interesting is, is that this inner vote is going to be acceptable, even if it's done in a state of Tuma, even though the seats is not there. So in other words, according to Rabbi Shimon, in a way, the seats needs to be worn, uh, sorry, according to Rabbi Huda. Right, the seats would need to be worn on the forehead as a backup in case the Kohen Gadol's tame. And what Rabbi Shimon's saying to Rabbi Huda is, no, it's not the case. We know that the Kohen Gadol doesn't need to wear the seats because if we had a Yom Kippur where the Kohen Gadol was tame, the Kohen Gadol did the inner avoda. The seats is not there. It's not that the seats somehow makes the tuma, you know, now okay. Um, and so it's interesting to see, you know, this is the proof that he's going to bring here, right? So he says, right? It's not on his forehead. And yet still, the this inner avoda is still okay. Amar lo Rabbi Yehuda. So Rabbi Yehuda is going to say back, um, don't use this proof. We're going to set this aside. Right? Because what do we ultimately hold? We know that that in other words, the Kohen Gadol is allowed to perform this in a state of Tuma uh, because it's Hutra, right? We don't need to worry about that. And so really, so we come to the conclusion that what Michal de Rabbi Shimon savar Tuma duchia hibitzibor. Since Rabbi Shimon gets into the whole thing about the seats being in existence, what it must mean is that Rabbi Shimon actually holds that Tuma is duchia, right? That the Kohen Gadol really shouldn't be allowed to perform this uh, in a state of Tuma, and that it's the fact that the tzitz is existing, right? Not necessarily worn by the Kohen Gadol, but just that the tzitz exists, that's why that, that you know, that is still going to be, uh, that inner avoda is still going to be accepted. Now, the real reason why they brought this brysa was to show that Rav Sheshes, um, as an Amora, has a proof from, uh, you know, ha- has, you know, sort of follows uh, this opinion of Rabbi Shimon, who's a Tana. Um, what's interesting here about this particular brisa is, is, you know, then the Gemara goes on and Abaye is going to say, right, So Abaye wants to make the point, let's say the seat somehow was broken, 
everybody, Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon, everybody would agree that in that particular case, um, that the the tzitz doesn't do anything. It doesn't actually work. What they disagree about is, let's say, this was hung up on a peg. Now, again, I think this is one of these examples. This is a boundary point, right? Do we really think that seats was ever sort of just like left on a peg? No, but I think what it's really hope not. Right, but what it's really trying to ask is: Is it the seats that's important, or is it the act of the coin guzzle wearing the seats? That's really what the essential question about the seats is. And then they're going to go through a text proof to show uh, how each person get this right. That Rabbi Yehuda is basically going to say that it, you know, whether or not it's, you know, on a peg, it doesn't make a, a, a difference. The fact that the seat just exists in its full form, it's Maratza. Whereas Rabbi Shimon's going to say, no, it actually needs to be on the Kohen Gadol itself um, in order for it to be Maratza. Um, and that if it's on a peg, it's not attached to the Kohen Gadol, that's going to make a difference. And so again, I think part of what they're teasing out here is, what's the importance of the Kohen Gadol's clothing? Is it that, you know, and I think it's maybe also the teats, because remember, and the Gemara goes on to talk about this, where they compare it to tefillin, you know, it has shame Hashem on it. And therefore, you could see why maybe it sort of has sort of its own power. Um, but Rabbi Shem is going to say, no, it has to be connected to the person who's actually obligated to wear it. It can't on its own sort of has its own status of being Maratza. So I thought this was a very interesting machlokas that, again, is sort of pointing to you know, some of the items that are used in the Beit HaMikdash, what's actually their significance. And this particular tzitz, even though it has Shem Hashem on it, according to Rabbi Shimon, must be physically attached to the Kohen Gadol to be Maratza. It's an only, it's, I think it's a question that goes beyond, it's maybe, let me say this carefully. I think it's especially pronounced with regard to the tzitz, but it's, I think it's a question about the all of the garments of the Kohen Gadol, right? Like, is it, are it the garments or is it the person? Is it the person in the garments, right? To what extent is this office by virtue of the clothing? And to what extent is it the the special, I don't know, standing that the Kohen Gadol himself has? So I do think it's most pronounced with the Tzitz and Pat. It's the most dramatic yeah, I mean, piece. I, I think it's, it's you know, it, it's interesting to see this example with the Tzitz. And even more so because the Tzitz was not actually worn in the Kaddish Kedoshim during the Avodah of Yom Kippur. So you can certainly see where Rabbi Yehuda sort of gets this opinion of his. Yeah, that's a really important and interesting point. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rink us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go. Go.